Hey, all of you beautiful humans. Welcome back to another episode of the Search for Serotonin podcast, a show about releasing the stigma surrounding mental health and finally finding your own happiness. I'm your host, Carolyn Farrick, and I'm sharing my most vulnerable stories around my own mental health journey in an open and authentic way to help you feel less alone in your struggles. We all deserve to be happy and we don't need to find happiness alone. So welcome to the search committee. What's up, Serotonin Searchers? Welcome back to another episode of the Search for Serotonin podcast. This week, I am talking again with Shalina Lodia. We talked last week in part one of our intergenerational trauma episode series. And then this week, we are going to be continuing on to discuss women's trauma, cultural trauma, and religious trauma. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go check that out before listening to this one. And before we dive into this week's episode, I do want to give a quick trigger warning for any of the listeners out there. We will be discussing topics such as sexual assault, as well as domestic violence, um, and also some themes of marital rape and just intermarital violence. So if those are things that do trigger you, Please skip this week's episode and I'll see you back here next Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you mentioned the piece about the Uber and saying that, you know, oh, you're just being a typical woman. But like you said, you know, you have past experiences where you have been violated or assaulted and, you know, that's true for a lot of women. And so- To men, you know, they think, oh, you're just being overdramatic or, you know, you're just being scared. It's like, no, there is so much backstory and it's something that you've never experienced and it's to a level that you could never comprehend. And so that's why it's so important to remember you never know what other people are going through. You never know what other people are carrying around with them. So when you're quick to jump in, judge and say, oh, well, that's not something I would do or you're being overdramatic, you know, like you said, there's, more to the story that nobody's seeing that's right even um if I'm driving with somebody sorry somebody's driving I'm not driving you know you've given full control to the person who's driving people don't realize the depth of that that can cause so much trauma and anxiety I sat in an uber for five minutes once because I was running late I had to go from one place to the train station my heart was in my mouth like it was a five minute drive the whole time And I didn't know the roads either. I was new to this place. I was like, where's this person going to take me? Are they taking me to the right place? I had my GPS on. I was freaking out. My heart was fast the whole time. Why? Because this person's in control of my life right now. What if they're supposed to go left and they go right? Like that, and that's reliving trauma. That's me sitting in the car and in the, in the Uber for five minutes, just reliving trauma. But at that point I had no choice. And um, my biggest fear sometimes is if I'm sitting in the car with somebody and they sometimes they say, oh, I'm just taking a shortcut. In my head, I'm like, are you really taking a shortcut? Which road are you taking? Why are you going this way? Um, like, I'm scared. So, but the fear is very real. It's not us overreacting. It's this happens on a daily basis. And men are not as susceptible to rape and violence as women are. So the fear is going to be there. And this is why I cannot remember the last time I even sat in an Uber. It's been years. Why? Because if I sat in there, Threat response, I'm feeling threatened, I'm feeling traumatized, I'm already, I'm reliving it, I'm already going through it again. So I try, I'll avoid that. But that's something that women face on a daily basis though. Yeah, like taking an Uber, you know, even if I'm walking around downtown in the middle of the day, I feel like I can't walk around without being on the phone with somebody because I have that internalized fear, like, 
I don't know who's around me right now. Like what's going to happen. I'm alone. Is someone going to just like grab me and no one's going to notice because we're in the middle of a city. So yeah, I definitely think women do have those added layers of worries. You know, we have to think about what am I leaving the house in? How is this going to be perceived? You know, I can't walk home by myself at night. I can't even take a walk at night. And, you know, those are things that guys will just like do and have no second thought about. And like, even if you're a woman walking to your car, you know, they tell you, keep your keys in between your hand or carry pepper spray, or, you know, they've started packaging like self-defense tools for women in like, like girly packaging. They I've seen this one where it's like a little suitcase, like a little mini, like plastic suitcase that you get. And in it is pepper spray, like a stick to like jab somebody. And then like three other self-defense tools. So women can just keep these little, like luggage things in their purse and then whip out like multiple self-defense tools if they need them. But it's, it's kind of like sad that we've gotten to a point that like, this is now becoming like a marketing ploy and like branding that people are like, this, these are the measures we have to take to even just exist as women, you know? That makes me so sad. We don't have that here in Australia. Um, We don't have um, pepper spray here. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. we, We don't have that. So um, I mean, if we have to defend ourselves, we do, but yeah. we, if we are caught with any type of weapons, like the police will be like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why yeah. do you have a car type of thing? Why do you have this on you? So if it's anything sharp, like they, the police have the power to confiscate it from us, they can take it. Wow. That, that's crazy <laughs> that like you can't carry pepper spray because here, like in America, I used to bartend. So I would be out downtown until like four or five in the morning. and like I would have to take Ubers to my car. I couldn't even walk to get to the parking garage. Like I would have to call an Uber to take me to my car. And then also everyone would always say, make sure you get pepper spray. Like you need to carry pepper spray at all times because you never know who you're going to run into. So here it's just like a common thing that people tell you, oh, make sure you have pepper spray. You know, like when my sisters, they just started college this past year. Um, one of the gifts my mom got them was pepper spray for when they're walking around. It's just like a natural thing. Like they sell it at target, like every basic grocery, like you can get it at all these different stores. So it's so easily accessible here. So it's interesting that it's not even allowed in Australia. Wow. That's so, wow. I'm I'm like shocked. Just like buy that. We don't even have that here. (laughs) Talk about gender and uh, the differences in gender. Like, you know, oh my god, father. I think um that also sometimes stems from intergenerational trauma as well, um, depending on cultures and families. Like in my culture, it's very common, it's very normal for men to be dominating, for men to look after the finances, for men to be in control, and the women aren't, because women were not given access to education in my culture. Like women were seen, women were just married off. And and that's a part of intergenerational trauma, like women being married off, denied access to education, expected them to stay with abusive husbands, expected them to tolerate everything. It still happens in my culture. And some women think it's just a normal thing for the men to treat them like that. And I'm like, no, what you're going through is actually domestic violence. Like what you're going through is is trauma, domestic violence and intergenerational trauma all combined into one they have no knowledge of it like they don't even know what these things mean and I'm like wow I feel so sorry for these people they're not a lot of women come here from India their husbands are like have sponsored them on the visa to bring them to Australia they don't know the law 
they don't know anything. They can't speak proper English. They believe everything their husbands say because that type of behavior, the, 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 the children have seen their parents do it. Don't question the authority. Don't question the father. Don't question the man of the house. And it just gets passed down. And there's different rules for men and women, and it still exists in my culture. And it's so sad. And that's traumatic in itself for the women, because like you said, they don't know what they're being thrown into. And all they have to go off of is the one person that they know, the one person they think they can trust. And so then it's just almost like a manipulation tactic, a kind of just because, you know, if they're not giving them the correct information or, you know, they have that financial control over them, that's just very traumatic. And like you said, it's something that's not questioned. It's very normal. So, you know, then those women are now experiencing trauma that they don't even know that they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they have children, they they don't have the concept, they don't have the the rationality or the brain to think that I shouldn't have children because I have a crap marriage. A lot of women in my culture think that if I have children, my husband will stop abusing me. And yes. And, and, and I have so many women, like I deal with a lot of domestic violence cases and they, they'll have like little kids, like one year, six months. And my first question to them, one of my first questions to them is, was your husband abusive before you had children? They're like, yeah, he's been abusive for a few years. And I'm like, okay, so why did you choose to have children? Unless if he has forced you to keep the child and denied you access to, you know, the morning after pill or contraception or, you know, marital rape. Marital rape is huge in my culture. Um, Why did you choose to have kids? And they say, oh, I thought that he'd stop abusing me if I had children. Because what they're trying to do is sweep all the trauma and all the problems under the rug. Because now the husband, he, she thinks that the husband is going to now focus on the child and they won't have to talk to, amongst each other because the child will be the main focus. So you're just bringing your child into this world and the child is traumatised from a young age because the whole reason why the child was born was so that the parents stopped fighting. Like, and, and a lot of women think that. And it's a common thing to think, oh, have kids, everything will be fine. The parents tell them that. The parents sitting in India, oops, I just hit the wall, sitting in India, tell them that. Like, if you have kids, everything will be fine. Can you imagine the trauma these children grow up in because they constantly just see their parents fighting? So it's so sad. And I can't help. Like, I'm quite sensitive about what I say, but there are times I just say to them, you really brought this child into this world to sort your 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 problems out like are you serious now is there any fear by like the women who are bringing the child into the world in order to stop this fight is there any concern that you know maybe he'll still continue this cycle of abuse but maybe now he's going to start taking it out on the kids does that a thought that even comes up you know i don't think maybe they do think that but they sort of think, oh, but it's a child. Why would you have hurt a child? Yeah. In their mind, they think, oh, but the child's little. My husband's not going to abuse the child. The thing is, okay, it may not be physical abuse. It's emotional. Abuse is in so many forms. It's financial. It could be emotional. It could be spiritual. You know, forcing your child to follow a religion from such a young age and 
a lot of people go through that and they're forced into following religions. That's trauma. You're inflicting trauma as a parent on your child when you force them into religions, force them to study things they don't want, when you argue with your with your spouse in front of them, when you don't know how to regulate your emotions. Most parents don't know how to regulate their emotions. That's why the children suffer the trauma. The parents are do as I say, not as I do, or they, they don't understand it, like how children's minds work. Like children are sponge. They absorb things very quickly. So children end up suffering so much because of the unhealthy dynamics of a relationship that the parents have and the belief that the child is going to fix the problems. When you said, you know, do as I say, not as I do, that just really hit me because when, you know, I was younger, you know, that was always what my dad would say, you know, you do what I say. I don't want you to ask questions. I don't want you to like say anything, just do it as like, right as I say it and exactly how I want it done, or, you know, it's going to be a whole big fight. And then how you mentioned forcing kids into religion. I was born into a very Catholic family. You know, my dad had gone to Catholic grade school. He went to a Catholic high school. You know, my family members were very active and involved in the Catholic church. And I was, you know, forced into that. And I went to Catholic school starting when I was in three-year-old preschool all the way up until I was 14. So that's 11 years of my childhood life that I spent, you know, being having this religion pushed upon me and always being told, you know, you don't know things, you're a kid, listen to adults, don't ask questions. And then all of the like things that they would say about the faith of like, you know, um, this is what's right. And this is what's wrong. And if you don't follow this, then you're going to go to hell. And it was like a scare tactic. And I talk about it in this podcast that I experienced anxiety and a panic attack at the age of five, because when I learned about what hell was and how terrible they made it sound I just like would be afraid to fall asleep because they equated dying to sleeping and so then that's something I struggled with as well so yeah forcing your kids into a religion is just very very traumatic and you know it doesn't help them become their own person and have their own sense of identity or self-worth or things like that you know they're just shoved into this role into this box what that religion wants them to be at least in my experience at least but it's it's damaging yes yes and then the child grows up living in fear the child may turn to people pleasing behaviors the child may not know how to say no because why this has been inflicted from the parents it's it's honestly I think that as soon as a parent as soon as somebody's planning on becoming a parent they need to study child psychology. Like, please just study child psychology before you have a child. Otherwise, your children are just going to be traumatized. Um, it's also, you know, not, not allowing your child time and space to process their own emotions. Like children are little people. If adults cannot regulate their emotions, how can you expect a little, a little person to do that? How can you expect a little person to just understand? what they're feeling like it's the parents responsibility to to help a child understand their emotions anger or frustration they're feeling sad or whatever it is that's the parents role to help them to identify the problem is adults don't know how to identify adults cannot identify how they feel how is the child going to know this like, how is the child supposed to survive in this world not being mixed up in the mind? That is traumatizing. They live their life in trauma and confusion because yeah. of the parents. I was just about to bring up, you know, 
my parents, I know that I don't really blame them for what happened in my childhood, because like you said, the intergenerational trauma, I can look back to, you know, their parents and their grandparents and see, you know, what they experienced when they were kids. And so I kind of understand, you know, they grew up in a time where you don't talk about things and they were just, you know, products of intergenerational trauma and having the same, like, abusive patterns or same toxic patterns. And so for them, you know, I couldn't imagine growing up in a time where you couldn't talk about it. You couldn't open up about it. There weren't as many resources. So I don't put blame on my parents. I acknowledge what they went through, but it's sometimes, you know, it's hard, like you said, to be the one in your family trying to break that. You know, I'm the only one in therapy. I'm the one trying to start these hard conversations and like mm-hmm. telling them, yeah, like telling my family, this isn't okay. Like we can do things differently and we can have conversations and talk about things. Like we all don't need to keep it in the dark and carry it by ourselves. Like we can work together and like get past these things. But it's hard when, you know, other people don't see it that way, like you said, and other people don't want to step up and start looking inward at themselves and also saying, okay, maybe I could be healthier and be better by doing these things, you know? So when you're the only one trying to turn it around, it can be very, very stressful. It can be. And um, I think a lot of parents are not able to admit or accept that they need to change. Like when you have a child, it's not about you. You have to be the best version of yourself, but you can't, inflict your trauma on your child but if you don't know you're going through trauma your child's gonna cop it like I went through it because people in my family didn't know they went through trauma so I had to sit here and decode everything you know oh this person did this because this is what happened to them and this is how you can know if like if you want to figure out the trauma that has been passed down in your family you can do what is called a genogram so it's like a family tree but you know in a family tree how you've got the names of and this person married this person, then they had these many children or whatever. In a genogram, you go as far back as you can with all the people you know in your family, but you write about what they went through, what, what as much as you know. Obviously, it might be hard to know. I mean, all of, all of this might be information that was passed down, but what you know of them, what you know of the family. For example, my, my grandmother, my mom's mother, was the oldest of six or 14 children. So from a young age... She couldn't finish school. Her childhood was taken away from her. She had to be the mother. So imagine all the trauma just within that. And this is going back uh, 80-something years ago. So just that. And then her mother grew up, in was sent from foster home to foster home to foster home and never had the love of both parents. And her mother died at a very young age. So trauma has just, the abandonment and grief and trauma has just been passed down in my family. So if you can go as far back as you can and just write down, what did they go through? What mental health um, issues do you think they had? What was their relationships like? How many children did they have? What do you think was taken away from them as a child? What did they, what, what lacked in their lives? Why, it'll help you to understand why your, your uh, prior family members were, why they were what they were. And it'll help you to understand why you do what you do and why your parents do what they do and how it was passed down. Then you're going to know how to break it. Then you're going to know because it's a lot of people live in the past and they live in they live in their traumas and they live in the past and it's the 21st century they can't get with the times so that's why there's so much conflict like my my granddad lives like 50 years ago he's he's got he's got a primitive mindset but I don't so we have a clash of belief systems so you can't change somebody 
who has been in this world for 80 years, but we can just understand. And understanding trauma and intergenerational trauma does not mean that you can't hold them accountable for what they did wrong. Like it doesn't mean like, oh, they went through trauma, so it's okay that they were abusive. No, it just means you understand where it comes from. So um, it doesn't mean that what they did was okay, even though they were traumatized. That, that, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse to rape, to hurt, to, you know, do destructive things. Like we're not excusing the behavior, but we're just trying to learn and um, understand. So if people listening can try and go as far back as they can to understand what really happened in their families, they'll be able to break it and not feel guilty. A lot of people feel guilty for these things, feel guilty for pointing fingers and feel guilty for, um, you know, trying to break cycles and feel guilty for cutting off toxic people. Don't feel guilty. Like you got to do what you got to do. Some, some, some relationships will no longer serve you. That's okay. They don't have to. I love that you talk about accountability and saying, you know, there's no shame in holding people accountable. And like you said, with your grandpa, he's in a different mindset. And, you know, some of my family members, it's the same way where they're in a different mindset, but that doesn't mean you can't, you know, like you said, understand them, but then still hold them accountable just because, you know, there's all this going on doesn't mean you have to go to the point of stopping talking unless they are truly toxic and not serving you and draining you more than they're filling you up. But if it's, you know, you don't have to jump to that right away. You can understand and assess and still hold them accountable, but still want to, you know, love them and help them and continue to try and push for them to do better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a process. It's not something that happens right away, but once you get on the journey of deconstructing trauma, your own trauma and going back, it's like a weight lifted off your shoulders. Once I understood why people in my family did what they did, I can't say that I've fully forgiven or let go or anything like that. You don't have to let go and forgive. I think forgiveness is people really try and force forgiveness on somebody, and I think that's wrong. Like it's such a personal, um, it's such a personal thing, you know. But it's all about, like for example, when people say healing, in my opinion, healing literally means managing your emotions you're just learning how to manage like healing is a very overused term in mental health and the coaching world and I absolutely hate the word so I like to replace the word healing with management you're managing your emotions you're managing your responses Um, it doesn't mean you forget about how you feel when 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 a negative thought arises it's just how are you going to manage it cold shower go to the gym call somebody watch a youtube video you're managing it in a way that does not destruct yourself or people around you that's what in my opinion healing or healing from trauma really means that is such a good point because like you said it's overused in the like mental health realm and the coaching realm of healing and when I put out you know my podcast application request I received over 100 responses and a lot of people said oh I've healed my anxiety I've healed my depression I've finally gotten over it and in my mind I'm like is that possible does it is it can it just go away like is that like something we can do here yeah because I I always use the term like I'm still managing, you know, every single day, how to live with high functioning anxiety and clinical depression. And so that's kind of how I frame it. So it's interesting to hear someone else kind of look at it the same way of, you know, this is management. This is something you have to actively work towards. It's not just here, 
do this course or sign up for this program or see this therapist and then all is resolved and you never have to think about it again. So do you think that's the case or is it something that can truly be healed? I don't think something just gets healed just like that. It, it does not make sense to me that it can. Um, I think it's managing. Like, for example, when you have a cold, when you have a flu or a cold, it doesn't just heal itself. You, you do things to heal it. You drink hot tea, you eat the right foods, you sleep, whatever it is you need to do, you do it in order to heal it. By the same token, with your mental and physical health, you're learning how to manage it. You're managing the emotions that come with it. So, for example, when I have negative emotions about my dad, because my dad, I've, I've never had him in my life, so I feel that hole in my heart. Before, I used to manage it by drinking and lashing out and, you know, antisocial behaviours. Now, I'll make music or I'll write poetry or whatever. So I've learned to manage it in a different way, but I don't take it out on people. I don't get physical. I don't get violent. I've, I've never been a violent person, but I don't do any of that. So it's all about how you manage it so that you and the people around you don't get affected because a lot of people when they go through trauma or any type of negative emotion, it's not just them who suffers. People around them suffer. Their, their anger outbursts, the way that they speak to people, they might get sarcastic. People around you can get scared because of your, your reaction to things. It's managing your reactions. It's, it's emotionally regulating. It's regulating your emotions. That's management. That's how you deal with your trauma. You may not ever heal from it or get over it, but you learn to manage it and it becomes a habit. If you can have smoking and drinking as a habit, you can have managing your trauma as a habit. You can have um, your responses can become a habit. Your positive responses can become a habit. So it doesn't mean you push your emotions away. Pushing it away does not make it go away. It, it's temporary. It's, how to, it's just dealing with it in a way that is not, you know, self-destructive. Oh. Thank you for sharing that. If there's anything else that you want to talk about that you didn't get to yet or didn't have a chance to, um, if there's anything else you want to add, feel free to throw it in there. If you are going through trauma, just please learn about your trauma and just please be aware that the trauma not only affects you, it affects the people around you and the way you interact with them. And it can affect you at work, your relationships, your parenting, your friends, your lifestyle. It affects everything. It affects your health. So you know, don't think that there is any shame and don't think that just because you're going through trauma, other people have it worse. And don't think that trauma is a big, fat, heavy word that um, it's not that heavy. We all go through it. Psychologists believe that about 80% of people in this world have gone through trauma. 80%. That's billions of people go through trauma. So you're not alone. But when you speak up, other people speak up and then other people speak up and then people start to break that cycle and they learn and they heal. Well, they manage, not heal. I hate that word. They start managing themselves. So, you know, you never know who you're inspiring and helping when you start to share your story and start to grow and heal and manage. I love that so much. Thank you so much for saying that. That was very powerful and very nice to hear, especially for me as somebody who's still kind of navigating all of this. So thank you for that. Um, I think I probably already know the answer to this question, but something I like to ask all of my guests is um, how do you search for serotonin in your everyday life? What brings you happiness? Ooh, for me, it's music. And um, it's like getting on YouTube, watching some, some things that I love. It's music. It's, you know, me time. It's giving myself time, having a bath that's indulging, exercising, anything that I do 
to improve my mental and physical health, that's how I get the serotonin. Um, it's all about, you know, trying to be healthy because your health is your wealth. So just give yourself me time. A lot of people don't take time out for themselves. So I would say, please take time out for yourself in, in the day. Like, even if it's just one thing you do, have a long shower, have a long shower. That's your time. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I knew you were going to say music. I was looking at your social media pages before this, and I came across your YouTube and I was like, I feel like this is going to be her answer, but I'll still ask in case you wanted to add more what you did. And it was very well said. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And then um, where can people find you? If people want to continue to follow your journey, if they want to look up your music career, where can they go to find you online? Um, so my, my artist name is said eight S E D eight. So you can find me on YouTube, um, on Instagram. It's the same name S E D eight, or you can search Shalina Lodia on Google and I will come up. Yeah. I'll plug both of those in the show notes. So then my audience can find them. And if you want to continue to follow along with Shalina and her journey, you can find her in the show notes. Thank yeah. you so much for me and um, giving me this platform to share this information with anybody. So I hope it's helped whoever's been with me. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know with the time zone differences and all of that, I'm just so glad we were able to make it work. And, you know, I think my audience is going to really benefit from this interview, but also I really benefited from this interview. You know, it made me feel seen and understood. And I feel like we agreed on a lot of the same things and just the points you're saying were heading home for me. So, I really needed this interview as well. So I just appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate being able to come on and help and just valid. It's, it's all about validation. It's just, just validating what people are going through. So I'm glad I was able to do that. This week's song is As It Was by Harry Styles. I'm a big Harry fan, and he just put out this song recently, so I thought this one would be a good fit for this week's episode, specifically because of the line. It says, in this world, it's just us. You know it's not the same as it was. And with this week's topic of intergenerational trauma, we really focused on the past and what happened in the past that led to you know, the traumas that we are experiencing today. And so the line, you know, it's not the same as it was really hit a nerve with the concept of trauma, because even though we have experienced trauma in the past and we have gone through hard times, that doesn't necessarily mean that's where we are today. And it's not going to always be the same. So if you want to check out As It Was by Harry Styles, you can find that on the Search for Serotonin playlist, which as always is linked in the show notes. Happy Monday, you guys. See you next week.